So what would you do if God showed up? We kicked off our service today with that question. If you weren't here, that's kind of where we started. If God showed up at your house, what would you do? Would you feed him? <laughs> would you ask him something? Would you ask him a question? Maybe you would welcome him. Maybe you would bow, worship him. Would you serve him? I can almost guarantee that none of us thought, you know what I'd do? I'd sit down and let him serve me. <laughs> but what if I told you that that's exactly what this narrative seems to indicate is the correct answer? Now, before you call me out as a heretic, that uh, the right answer is if God shows up at my house, I sit down and let him serve me. Before you call me out as a heretic, let's read the passage together. We're going to unpack it, kind of take it apart, and understand it, and understand what it is that God is calling us to here. If you have your Bibles, I would uh, encourage you to open them up to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It's a story that may be familiar to many of you. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The scripture, as always, is up here on the screen. You can use your device, whatever it is. But let's take a look at a story that, again, might be familiar to many. Luke writes this, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So here's what we have. Jesus is at a meal. We know that because the text indicates it. Martha welcomes him into her house. Uh, Jesus, at the end of the passage, refers to the good portion, which is a figurative reference to food. And we're also told that Marcia, Mar Marcia, 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 it's not like a Brady Bunch, you know what I mean? Martha is distracted with much Serving, that original word there is diakonos, where we get our word deacon, and it means she's serving food. That's what's happening. And there are two sisters there, Martha, the one who's serving, and Mary, who's sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, these sisters are very interesting because this is not the only place that the Scripture talks about them. Remember, they had a brother, Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. This was a very close, intimate relationship that he had with them. This was not kind of a one-off healing or one-off teaching. This is a, a family that Jesus had a very intimate relationship with over the entire course of his ministry. As a matter of fact, he comes into this village, Bethany, where they lived. We know that from the other Gospels. And he probably had other options of where he could stay, but he stays here. He has a meal here. Why? Because of how tight they were. And then there's a contrast, right? That Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet while Martha is up running around, anxious and troubled and serving him. And Martha comes and complains to Jesus. Did you hear it? Bold. She says, Lord, she addresses him as curious, Lord, so she knows who she's talking to. 
And she says, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Then she orders Jesus to do something, which is fantastic, right? She says, tell her to help me. Like super passive aggressive, by the way. When you see someone else in the room that you don't like doing what it is they're doing, what it is they're not doing, to address Jesus and not talk to them. I could only imagine Mary's face. She must've been like horrified. You gotta be kidding me, especially among sisters. Martha's likely the older one here. And she makes this passive aggressive remark, Jesus, tell her to help me. Jesus responds and encourages Martha, hey, maybe you should make a different choice. Namely, choose what Mary chose. And then, Luke moves on and begins to talk about other things in his gospel. The, the crux of this passage really centers around what Mary chose. What did she choose? Well, she chose the good portion. That's really the crux of the text. Again, the good portion there represents something. It's a reference to food, but it's figuratively pointing to kind of a spiritual reality. Well, what is that spiritual reality? What is the good portion? What is the better choice than Martha made? What is the one thing that Jesus says is necessary, although Martha is concerned with many things? What's the point of the passage? Well, a Bible scholar named uh, Leon Morris writes this, and it's completely unhelpful. Here's what he writes. He says, the one thing isn't defined. Well, thank you very much. It's expressed, certainly, Leon Morris continues, it's expressed certainly in the fact that Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his teaching, but it's left a little nebulous in the passage, isn't it? Uh, you know, Jesus doesn't go on and say, and that good portion is X, Y, Z. He doesn't say that. So what is the good portion? Well, different Bible scholars have suggested different things. Daryl Bach writes this. He says, the early church saw the lesson as the superiority of the contemplative life over the active life. In other words, Daryl Bach suggests that this text is saying, be more like Mary who contemplates and sits at the feet of Jesus, less like Martha who's running around busy serving. But listen to what Joel Green writes. He says, although long interpreted as establishing the priority of the contemplative life over the active one, the interests of this brief narrative unit lie elsewhere. In other words, I'm disagreeing with Daryl Bach. He says, Luke's narration is manifestly concerned with the motif of hospitality. So Bach would suggest that the narrative is about contemplation above activity. But Joel Green says, no, it's not really about that. It's about hospitality. I. Howard Marshall says, the story is not meant to exalt the contemplative life above the life of action, okay, but indicate the proper way to serve Jesus. So I. Howard Marshall says, this is about service. I've even taught this before. This is kind of a personality test, right? You know, Mary's are the contemplative, introverted, quiet ones, and Martha's are the busy serving ones. We've got to kind of have a balance of both. Both, I've even taught it that way. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of those people are wrong. I'm just suggesting that there's more to it. It's not less than those things, but it is more than those things. And in order for us to see the passage for all that it is, we have to immerse ourselves in the text. I was talking to Dave Lewis uh, this week, one of our pastors here, and he was telling me that his daughter, Maya, went downtown this past week to the Van Gogh exhibit. And I don't know if you've seen this advertised. Maybe you've even gone down and experienced it yourself. 
but it's an immersive Van Gogh experience. So rather than just looking at Van Gogh's Starry Night on a canvas, they've created this completely immersive experience whereby you are inside the Starry Night itself. The stars are spinning and twinkling around you. You are in the painting, immersed in it. That's what we have to do in terms of this text, because the further we go, the more meaning we can derive. Uh, my own daughter, Kaya, loves the zoo, and I don't know if you've been to the Toronto Zoo, but when you first walk in, there are two things that you see, a Tim Hortons and a carousel. If you've ever been to the Toronto Zoo, you know what I'm talking about. And Kaya, at six years old, would spend all day, if I let her, going between Tim Hortons and the carousel. Tim Hortons and the carousel. Timbits, carousel, Timbits, carousel, Timbits, carousel. Stop to vomit. Timbits, carousel, Timbits, carousel. But in order to see the zoo and experience the zoo for all it is, you got to go deeper into the zoo, right? Because that's where the meaning lies. So can I take you just a little deeper into this text? Can we immerse ourselves in it just a little bit to see that what Jesus is pointing to here, what Luke is pointing to, what God wants us to know is that the right choice is to sit down and let Jesus serve us. And there's some clues in the text that might help us once we're immersed in it. The first is the position that Luke places this interaction in terms of his broader narrative. Now check this out, listen closely, real important. During this kind of place in Luke's narrative, Jesus is traveling from Galilee through Samaria to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. From Galilee through Samaria to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. And we've already established that Mary and Martha lived in a village called Bethany, which is down here. It doesn't make sense that Jesus would be naturally passing through Bethany on his way down to Jerusalem. And so most Bible scholars would affirm, conservative ones at least, that Luke is not placing this narrative within a chronological context, but within a thematic context. He's pointing to a theme here. He's pointing to a topic here. This is not because that Jesus was passing through Bethany on his way to Jerusalem, and quite, in fact, quite the opposite. This happened at another time and at another place, but Luke places it here so that we pay attention to theme. So we've got to consider what's before it and what's after it. What's before it? The Good Samaritan. Immediately preceding this passage is the story of the Good Samaritan, whereby a man is beaten by the side of the road, uh, left uh, to die there, and a priest passes by, doesn't help. A Levite passes by, doesn't help. Religious leaders pass by, they don't help. But a Samaritan, the unlikely hero, comes and rescues this man from the side of the road. Now, many people would say, oh yeah, that's about us. We need to be good Samaritans to our neighbor. Yes, in, in part, yes, but it's more than that. Jesus is saying he is like that Samaritan. He is the unlikely hero. He is the unlikely savior that come to us in our time of need and pick us up and pay for our well-being and make sure that our wounds are cared for. Then immediately following this story is Jesus teaching on prayer. And he's not just teaching his disciples about prayer. He's saying, pray this way because your heavenly father is so good. As a matter of fact, he looks at his disciples and he says, you guys have kids. You know this. If your kid asked you for bread, you wouldn't give him a rock. If your kid asked you for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. 
You're evil, you're wicked, and you even know how to give good gifts to your kids. Much more so, God knows how to give good gifts to His kids. So here we've got this narrative of Mary and Martha sandwiched between Jesus as the Good Samaritan, the unlikely Savior coming to us to serve in our time of need. And the following passage is God's gracious gifts to His children. So it must have something to do with those two narratives. The second clue in the passage is this. It's the tenderness of Christ. Now check this out. Did you notice that Martha was up serving and Jesus doesn't correct her? He doesn't stop her. You know why? Because she's doing a good thing. In fact, she's kind of in the right here. She's, uh, she's maintaining kind of her cultural expectations. She's feeding this man who is in her home. She's showing hospitality. She's serving him. That's what would have been expected. That was a good thing. Jesus doesn't correct her. Then, even when she gets a little spicy with Jesus, you know what I mean? When she says, hey, you tell my sister to come help me. Jesus doesn't respond with, hey, Martha, you go fly a kite. He looks at her and he says, Martha, Martha. It's called the double vocative. It's a very tender way to address someone. And he doesn't say, Martha, Martha, go fly a kite. He sees her. He says, you're anxious and troubled about many things. He's so tender with her. He doesn't correct her. In other words, Martha isn't in the wrong here. The third clue is this, is that rather than a Mary-Martha contrast, as in Mary is the contemplative one, Martha is the busy one, this is really a Jesus and Martha contrast. Here are the clues in the text. One, Mary doesn't say a word. Did you notice that? This is a conversation between Jesus and Martha. We could replace Mary with anybody we want. Peter, Andrew, Bartholomew, you, me, whatever. Wouldn't change the narrative, wouldn't change the meaning of the story. This is a Jesus-Martha contrast. Again, this is Luke. He's writing his book about Jesus. These are not object lessons to help us learn to live better. This is a book about Jesus. Who is he? What kind of God is he? What kind of savior is he? What's his character like? And so Luke tells a story in, in, in an attempt to help us contrast Martha and Jesus in order to understand Jesus more. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, is the theme of the entire book of Luke can maybe be summed up with these four words. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to serve. Look what Luke says in, in Luke chapter 22. He's quoting Jesus here. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Jesus says, For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? That's an easy answer. The person who is seated with someone else serving that individual, right? That's the greater in that situation. Jesus asks a rhetorical question. He says, is it not the one who reclines at table? Yes, of course it is. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, but I am among you as one who serves. And you might be thinking, oh, okay, Luke, I get it. Jesus came to serve, and I even know the verse, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, right? But there will be a moment when he comes back in his second coming and establishes his kingdom, and at that point, he will be the ruler and, and reigning king. 
All that's true. But listen to what Jesus himself says just two chapters later in Luke. This is in context, right? This is Luke chapter 12. He compares himself to a groom who's married his bride, comes back, and he's supposed to throw, uh, or his friends are supposed to have a wedding feast kind of waiting for him so they can all celebrate the groom who's just got married. Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Jesus says, truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come serve them. He says, like a groom who comes back to celebrate with his friends and they're supposed to have a wedding feast ready, he says, I'm not that kind of groom. When I come back for my bride, the church, I'm going to have them sit at table and recline while I serve them. You see, this is the kind of God that Jesus is. He's the kind of God who shows up to serve you. When you're beaten and broken by the side of the road like a good Samaritan, He serves you. Like a father gives good gifts to his children, He serves you. He's tender even when you're a little spicy. He... he, is a God who came to serve. Even when He comes back as the rightful King, He will come again in order to serve. So the good portion is simply this. While Martha is too anxious and troubled to accept Jesus' service, Mary allows Jesus to serve her. While Martha is too anxious and troubled to accept Jesus' service, Mary allows Jesus to serve her. This is the good portion that will not be taken away. Now, you might be thinking, I I can't accept service from Jesus. I, I serve Him, not He serves me. But you see, that's where Martha got it wrong, didn't she? And perhaps it was her pride that got in the way. Perhaps it was her desire for control or her independence. Perhaps it was simply her great love for Jesus. And my guess is that's what it was. Because did you hear Jesus didn't correct her, remember? He'd say, Martha, you're prideful. Martha, you're, you want control. Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, you're missing out on the good portion. You're doing a good thing. But the best thing is just sit down. Let me serve you. Jesus didn't mince words elsewhere. He would have corrected her. He didn't. He said, sit down, recline at table. Let me serve you. Well, how is he serving Mary and Martha? Well, he's serving Mary by teaching her, right? The passage tells us that. She's seated at his feet and he is teaching her. And God does the same thing with you and me. Jesus does the same thing with you and me. He serves us by teaching us. And we get this flipped on its head sometimes. Like, okay, Jesus teaches me right and wrong so that I can make sure that I don't do wrong stuff and I do right stuff. No. Like a dad, remember, because that fatherly heart of God comes right after this passage. Like a dad teaches his children in order that they would live, so that they would live an abundant and full life. Like, look at it this way. I don't teach Kaya to cook so she can make me stuff, right? God is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. He doesn't teach us right and wrong so that we can come to him and see what I did to impress you. He teaches us so that we would live an abundant and full life. It's his service to us. This is the kind of God that we serve. 
He's serving Mary, uh, not just by teaching her, but honoring her, right? Because in this time and place, women could not be disciples, but Mary, instead of being up serving Jesus, what's she doing? She's learning from her rabbi. No other rabbi in that time and place would have had a female learn and grow. She's become a follower, a disciple of Jesus, not just someone who's serving him. He's serving her by honoring her. He's serving Martha too, right? He's serving her by calming her negative emotions. Think of all the emotions that are going on in this house. There's the anxiety and troubledness that Martha is experiencing. She's experiencing some level of loneliness, right? Because remember, she says to Jesus, aren't you going to do something that my sister has left me to serve, what, alone? Uh, she's frustrated, in, even in her escalating tone, that's reflective. L- reflected. Lord, don't you care? And tell her to get up. She's frustrated. And Jesus serves her by saying, Martha, Martha. He, he de-escalates those negative emotions. He serves Martha by stamping out her need to be recognized. See, her need to be recognized is reflected in that question. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Here's the deal. If Martha would know that she was perfectly loved by her perfect heavenly father, she wouldn't need to be recognized for her service. She can sit in a secure love. And he's serving Martha by inviting her to not miss out, isn't he? He's not saying, Martha, get your act together. Come on. He says, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion, and it's not going to be taken from her. I don't want you to miss out on that. Like a great host serves up a great meal. In this passage, Jesus is serving himself up. He's serving Martha. He's serving Mary. This is par for the course for the life of our God. Not a God who needs to be served by human hands, but a God who comes in the flesh and serves us. He served us on the cross. He serves us by calming our negative emotions. He serves us by teaching us. He serves us by giving us a secure identity. He serves us in so many ways, just as he served Mary and Martha. So the question is, will you let him serve you? Will you get caught in your pride or arrogance? I don't need the service of the king. Will you get caught in your desire to control or your fierce independence? Will you even get caught in a good thing and forfeit the best thing? Will you miss out as Martha almost did? I would ask you today, how is it that Jesus wants to serve you? Would you ask him? Jesus, would you serve me by taking up my fear? Would you serve me by teaching me? Would you serve me by releasing me from my need to be acknowledged? 
Jesus, I've been experiencing a lot of negative emotions, especially during this time in our world. Would you serve me just as you serve Martha by calming those negative emotions down? I sit at your feet, humble and submissive. I'm not going to let anything get in the way. I accept how you would serve me. I know it sounds backwards. We're not asking God for a Ferrari. But this is Jesus bending down and washing his disciples' feet. He says to Peter, unless you let me serve you, you have no part with me. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I pray that you would experience this day the humble service of the King, and in return, that you'd serve him right back. Whew! Are you as uncomfortable as I am? <laughs> you know, we just uh, wrapped this sermon in my office here, and uh, I was telling the folks here with me that, man, that is uncomfortable to say, isn't it? That God wants to serve us, that He came to serve us, and our posture is humbly accepting the way that He serves us. You know, Jesus never served anyone in the way they expected, right? In the way they desired, in the way they wanted. Ooh. But our humble position, as uncomfortable as it may be, is to accept the way that Jesus serves us. That's the kind of God that we worship. It's the kind of God that we serve.